What's up, everybody? Welcome to Land Parties from the Las Vegas Review Journal. This is episode 73. I am your host, Lucas Agan, and joining me as always is my co-host, Ryan Smith. Ryan, how are you this weekend? Or how, how was I, your weekend? <laughs> it was it was good. I wish it was still the weekend. <laughs> no, it was good. Uh, I, I said it. I, I got a ton of Mass Effect in. Uh, I'm absolutely loving that game. I feel like I'm a kid, like outside of a candy store. We've got we've got summer game fest coming up. We've got E3 uh, announcements are already starting to drop. I am absolutely pumped. This is like I love this time of the year because there's so much info that we get. We'll get into that here in a little bit. But how about you? How, how was your weekend, brother? My weekend was good. I got a lot of gaming in, a lot of Mass Effect. Uh, I actually revisited yeah. uh, Avengers for a little bit. Uh, okay. <laughs> it had been a long time since I picked up that game. They've improved a lot. They've improved a lot. It's a lot smoother. Um, you know, back when I was trying to give it a, a, a big shot, there was a lot of bugs that darn near made me want to quit for good. <laughs> and I did for a while, I guess, to be fair. But... Uh, lost lost potential i gotta be honest lost potential in that game but enough about us i know we're all excited for all the game announcements and our guest this week just recently had one and he's riding a wave of momentum one of the best indie game creators out there and a fellow member of the game awards future class i always have to shout everybody out zalavir nelson (laughs) jr is joining us how are you my friend have you gotten any rest at all these past few weeks Yes, I have snatched from the jaws uh, of exhaustion just several days worth of sleep uh, <laughs> to, to cope with all, all the madness. We just had a game launch in an airport for aliens currently run by dogs, which had a really, really positive reception. Uh, we announced El Paso elsewhere uh, this past weekend. We're on the front page of NME.com right now next to freaking like Steve McQueen uh, of 12 Years a Slave and, and, and Traverches. Uh, and uh, we're apparently going to they're gonna keep us up on there for like a freaking week. So, nice. uh, yeah, the, the fact that we are making things that are consistently weirder than uh, games would typically consider like to be successful and finding a lot of interest there, a lot of uh, passion for those projects, and also making those projects in a way that is sustainable, uh, especially when things are not like all on fire and happening at once, is uh, a delightful and very pleasant thing to be a part of. I'm very thankful right now. I think I think what you mean is they're next to you on the homepage. <laughs> Boom! <laughs> that is a way to put it. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yes. Before we get into all that, uh, first, a couple of things that we wanted to talk about. Now, we call this, I feel like, from the jump off. This was no surprise and it shouldn't have been a surprise to anybody. But God of War Ragnarok, still a working title, I believe, has officially been pushed back to 2022. This shouldn't be a surprise. I mean, literally, we talked about it last week about the fact that if all, both of, of uh, Forbidden West and this game, this game definitely wasn't coming coming out this year. So it wasn't surprising. There's 
you know, hopefully at, at E3, we get a little taste of actually seeing some of what they've got going on and what they're doing. But um, this shouldn't be shocking. I know that it's crazy. One of our past guests, Alana Pierce, she got a, a direct DM, all the hate, uh, just saying absolutely disgusting. And 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 uh, just it, it's crazy. Some of these people, number one, and, and I think this is the bigger issue of this is the fact that, you know, it's not one person that's just making this decision. Um, there's shareholders, there's deadlines to hit, there's this and that. Uh, it's you know it's it's crazy to think that people would go and and just attack a person. It's, it's your fault that this is like, come on, buddy. We all knew this wasn't coming out in 2021. I I think we would be lucky to if it comes out in 2022. It may not come out till 2023. Here's my thing about it though: is that look, man, let them take the time. Number one, it'd be it would be extremely difficult. To have an absolutely amazing game uh, that came out in God of War. And then the follow-up has got to be at least on the same level, if not more. So that takes time, man. It takes time. People need to be patient with these kinds of things. Um, But this shouldn't have been a surprise to anybody. Am I bummed about it? Absolutely. But again, I could be patient. I I want them to deliver a solid game. And I think that's where people need to, you know, take a step back a little bit and say, let the people get some time because there's no telling what's happening behind the scenes uh, that's causing this. So, you know, it's not surprising. It shouldn't have been shocking to anybody. I'm just saying. I also think that there's a major thing not being examined here, which is the games released in 2020 and being released in this early portion of 2021 are the things that were near the end of their development cycle that might have been affected mm-hmm. by COVID, but they were also coming on the back end. Anything that was earlier in development, anything that was implicitly relying on the typical structure and production schedule of not existing a global pandemic, those games I think you can also very easily anticipate have essentially had a year or two, maybe even three, maybe even more tacked on to their development cycles because they're having to develop these games in the midst of uh, hell itself. And as much as we do want to see our favorite IPs faster and bold new IPs in a uh, quote-unquote timely manner, like these things, uh, the the things that are going to get rocked most by this are the ones that were expecting to collaborate in a consistent environment, which we have not had. So the aftershocks of this in the games industry, which also... uh, compared to other mediums has a notorious has notoriously less proven out production processes, I think is mm-hmm. really important to acknowledge. Yeah, exactly. That's a very good point. And, you know, we, we had, we had touched on that earlier this year where we had said, you know, similar to, to the, the thing I brought up back then was like similar to the writer strike in Hollywood. It's not the immediate aftermath that you see the true effects. It's kind of that year later that those projects that would have come to fruition didn't, or that they, so, mm-hmm. as you said, they, they didn't have that development time that they're used to in the same structure. So this year was always going to be the year that hurt more than 2020. Um, and they deserve all the time they need to make this game. Great. You know, I, I, as we see time and time again, let's take a finished great game rather than a rushed 
rough game because so much content comes out, it's really hard to win audiences back after that initial impression. We're okay with with tinkering and some improvements, but not like huge, giant, we need to fix the game improvements. So like, yeah, take your time, take your time. Even from a business perspective, it didn't seem likely to me that they'd, they'd release Horizon and God of War in a similar time span if they were both being pushed to the end of the year. One of them was always going to be pushed anyway, I feel, from a business perspective. So hopefully it turns out well. I, I've, I'm sure it will turn out well, and it just makes me excited. Like I hope they can make it next year because 2022 is going to be a stacked year if we can get some of those games uh, that were supposed to come out this year start to come out next year. Like next year is going to be an epic, mm-hmm. epic game, uh, games year. Yeah, there. I mean, it's because there's so many games too that that were pushed back into 2022 um, that we're just going to be getting drops left and right. It's going to be crazy. But I, I think too, this is why maybe this game gets pushed to 23. Is because I mean, think about it. If Forbidden West doesn't come out this holiday season, it comes out in 2022. I still don't see them necessarily putting out both games unless one is early in 2022 and then the other one is later maybe uh but it, it'll be interesting to see and i i agree 100 that that you know let them let them let it breathe we knew and you sh- people should have been expecting that 2021 was going to be a year that we're going to be feeling the effects of 2020 so you know none of this stuff is is surprising uh big disappoints but Again, I'd rather them deliver a, you know, deliver that that full potential as opposed to trying to rush and and hit some sort of deadline or doing something. And then and then the backlash is there anyway. And we've talked about it. The ones that take the brunt of that are the studios. And it may not even you know what I mean? It may not even have anything to do with them, but they're all it's almost guaranteed that they're going to take the brunt of that uh, damage. So. I say wait, and that's kind of why I think too with Forbidden West, they're just like, you know what, dude, we're not even going to say a date right now. We don't really, we cannot honestly say that it's going to come out. I would rather wait to say something than put out a date. People are going to get hyped. They have to push it back. Now people are going to be all salty. It's like, (laughs) save yourself, spare yourself that salt and just be like, yo, it may come out. It may not. We're going to find out. We're going to find out together. (laughs) I also think that there's a big portion of the industry that it has really taken note of the audience's reaction to things like cyberpunk 2077 exactly as you mentioned there is a there's an acknowledgement that games are complicated to some degree but also a very brutal um reception especially towards release if a game is not in a place of uh significant stability and I'll be honest, the, the the reactions that we've seen towards projects that have not hit this arbitrary bar, which is shifting and inconsistent depending on the title that's being applied to, that is going to have uh, massive impacts going forward. Because if you're someone like a Sony who bets $300 million on a title regularly instead of releasing more games then what you're going mm-hmm. to see is we're no matter how that investment may have turned out, no matter how gorgeous the game may be, no matter how ambitious the game may be, if it doesn't hit this bar, which is again, shifting and unknown, depending on the title, the developer, the goodwill, we're going to have that entire 
investment go down the toilet and also potentially the trust in the developers next few games. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see also for this new console generation, a big emphasis on not uh, telling dates up front and also date pushbacks. Because if, if you're going to invest $400 million into a video game, you'll take some early gamer salt over an ongoing set of complaints about a game being dead. And I think you can really see this with Marvel's Avengers, which I played closer to launch and loved and that I still come back to. It is the rare live service game that does not want to consume all of your time. It yep. is uh, yeah. fun. It is popcorn. They're updating it consistently with these big old narrative updates that are certainly not inexpensive. Uh, and they're trying genuinely new things. They made a AAA licensed brawler with what is can be argued as the biggest IP in the world right now. And there mm-hmm. was some stability things around launch and also some examination of their title um, that didn't really match with a lot of the creative goals that I saw them projecting through the game's design. And no matter what they do right now, every single post about it, every single tenor of discussion comes back to the phrase dead game. Like, oh, are right. they going to manage to resurrect Marvel's Avengers, even given how much like it has sold? pretty well from all indications and it what keeps it from selling less well as time goes on is this industry-wide disbelief becoming the scapegoat uh or the nominated pinata of, of the industry is a very hard thing and it happens unfortunately happens pretty consistently so i think every every developer who's especially working on a massive scale like rockstar we are going to easily see that game delayed. I would not be surprised if we easily saw that game delayed another two to four years uh, from its from what was was probably its uh, previous p- pipeline, because the acceptance for games being ever more complicated and ever more detailed is not present in our discussions around these games. Yeah, very good point. It's I I can't imagine the pressure that everybody feels and it 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 affects I mean it it's the worst part of it is how it affects the actual creators of these games and you feel for them. You always feel for the developers and you feel and yeah, and it's going to be interesting to watch, probably not positive, as you said, you know, as as you look at companies like Sony that are are focusing on just bigger budget titles and there's going to be more pressure. Like they have to, they have to sell well. They have to meet these ever growing benchmarks. And uh, that's always a dangerous spot. That's always, uh, you never want, I mean, we all know that gaming companies have the business side to them, but you never want business to be overriding decisions all the time on creative choices. And you feel like, with a company like Sony, maybe there's a danger of that happening because they have to hit benchmarks. And so we'll see. We'll see. Um, let's shift quickly to a happier topic. And and we all know that this week <laughs> is going to be a fun week. We've got E3. We've got Summer Games, Summer Games Fest. As a gamer, like this is like Christmas, right? This is where you see titles. All You have all the hope in the world for everything in the interest of time, 
Ryan, I'm just going to give one prediction that I know will I'll probably eat it, but I have stuck with this darn prediction the entire year, and I'm going to double down on it and add to it. So we all know that the Switch Pro is like the worst kept secret in gaming right now that probably should be announced during E3. Although, don't put it past Nintendo to wait for some reason. But <laughs> but they're going to do that. But they're going to launch the darn thing with Breath of the Wild 2. And we're going to get a look at Metroid Prime 4. Just a look. I'm not saying release wow. date. I'm not saying anything Ambitious. else. I want actual <laughs> footage from Metroid Prime 4. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. I'm speaking it into existence. Nintendo, do it, please. Please do this. You win. You win E3 in my book if you do those two things. <laughs> yeah. No, dude. This, I mean, this is like we were saying, this is one of the, the funnest times, uh, especially as a gamer. We're going to be getting all kinds of announcements, uh, hearing about stuff. I know that uh, something I'm really anticipating is uh, seeing a little more from Starfield, uh, which is the Bethesda Xbox, uh, I'll say it in quotations, exclusive um, so we should actually get some, some, hopefully some more footage, maybe some gameplay. I can't imagine. I, I know one of the thing as well on the banner, they show Halo Infinite. So I know that they've been looking at, uh, um, possibly I, I say this possibly because I still don't know if it's actually, they, they say 2022, I believe, uh, or is this still scheduled for this year? I cannot remember for the life of me. I, regardless, I don't see it coming out until at least 2022, uh, I think, personally. Um, I know some other anticipated games, Bayonetta 3. I'm kind of on board with you as well, dude. I'd love to see, I think as well, I think Breath of the Wild 3, or 3, uh, Breath of the Wild 2 gets announced this year. I'm a little more skeptical about Prime, just because, I mean, I'd love to see it though. I think it'd be fantastic. But knowing Nintendo as well, they 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 like that they work out of the box. They do what they want. So uh, you know whether we see something or not, we shall see. Um, what else we got? Elden Ring, uh, Final Fantasy sixteen, uh, which is super exciting. I'm I'm pumped for that because not only do we have seven, you know, the remake uh, Integrate comes out this month. Um, but then, you know, we'll get a little more about Final Fantasy 16 and what that's going to be all about. Um, we still may get something or I can't imagine that we wouldn't get maybe some gameplay or something possibly from uh, God of War uh, Ragnarok. We'll see uh, as far as with that. There's some Pokemon stuff, which I'm kind of surprised you didn't say anything about uh, announcements as well. To be fair, <laughs> they have release dates. Like I'm, I am, I'm happy. I'm set. <laughs> like they have release dates. Zelda anniversary. Take notes. Like I mean, come on. Um, <laughs> but no, no. Let me let me ask from from the game development side. When you approach events like this, and like so many gamers' attentions are to E3 and Summer Games Fest and all that. Like, are you excited? Are you nervous? Is this like a, an extremely nerve wracking time? Is this something that you're you're happy to? to, you know, get your game out in front of a lot more eyeballs than it has been before? I think that the appeal of E3 is the same thing that makes it a nightmare to live through. This is my first one having something to uh, announce during this season. Might have more than one thing 
which I'm not sure I can talk about. Stay tuned. Mm. But the mm. idea of all of this energy, all of this time behind the scenes, uh, an E3 reveal actually takes months to set up, especially when you have more things involved. We had uh, a front p a front page placement on the historic media uh, publication NME. So a profile of me, a deep dive on the new game, El Paso Elsewhere. And yeah, all of this comes, takes like weeks and months to come together. And then it's just like there <laughs> and you have to deal with the consequences of that. Uh, and that can be like really positive and it's very exciting, but it's also that hidden fear of like, I hope to God Devolver doesn't announce anything today. I hope developer doesn't announce anything because those are the types of things of like if it's like Breath of the Wild two release date, all of the air gets sucked out of the room. Right. So it's, I think the best way to put it is it's like playing poker in an airlock. You may hmm. win, you may lose, or you may be ejected into uh, the darkness of space. I love that. <laughs> I could totally see that. You know, when when you talk about how it takes months to kind of get everything ready and arrange things. So when when you are on the front page of Enemy, what what it, in that moment is that feeling when you see it there and you realize, yep, it's live. Like it's no turning back now. <laughs> I think the the feeling I would describe still being pretty close to the event is one of relief. It is incredibly uh validating to have the work of your of your team that goes into the announcement and just into the game period acknowledged on a pretty wide scale the first wave of gorilla collective 2 uh every roundup every highlight uh stream or video seems to include el paso elsewhere um we've had a bunch of specific coverage written about it and previews it's that's incredibly uh, validating, and I acknowledge that that is not that not ev- that that's part of what makes E three season tough because not everyone gets that same placement, not everyone gets that same acknowledgement. You might be the game that is announced during the same time as a Breath of the Wild two release date, and no matter how impressive your work is, that just doesn't create the same level of, of visceral excitement as something that exists or that something that already has a lot of hype around it. So we're, we're very, very thankful that for something that especially is trying to break new ground right now, we got to have the air in the room for that announcement to breathe and be, and to really like shine uh, to the full degree that it can. So I just come back to being immensely thankful over and over again that for the conditions under which we've announced the game, people are seeing us, they're seeing the work, they're seeing the team, and they're excited about what we have to present. And um, I, for one, am just excited to bring that to life for them uh, over the coming months. Absolutely. It's going to be awesome. We're excited to talk some more about that as well. Huge event. It all kicks off uh, Summer Game Fest on Thursday. Um, I'm pumped. We're going to be covering it. We'll be getting all the releases, talking about it and stuff like that. So um, anyway, we'll uh, on the backside, we'll talk more about it. Let's take a quick commercial break, and we will be right back. 
Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for listening to that short message. And now comes the real fun part of the episode. And before we get to El Paso, I just want to talk to you about Airport for Dogs or Airport for Aliens run by currently run by dogs. Because first of all, (laughs) best title ever in gaming. Like that originally is what drew me to this title. Like I saw the title, like I just have to know more. Like, (laughs) Like I have to know more. The only competitor to that to it on that respect really is a Space Warlord Organ Trading Simulator. That's true. That is very true. <laughs> yeah. That is very true. <laughs> so obviously it was recently released. It seems like the feedback has been overwhelmingly positive. Talk to me, talk to us about that game. How did how did it come about? Where did you get the idea for that game? And what has your reaction to the response been so far? So an airport for aliens currently run by dogs was me in the middle of a pretty burnouty period of my career where I'd become hyper-focused on just shipping games. It doesn't matter. Uh, and also on like the process of games, not itself being joyful. It's like, we know that game development is pain. Therefore <laughs> I will embrace the pain. And even if I am destroyed in the process, at least the game will come out. And if the game is good, that that mean, then that means I'm good. It was a very nihilistic state of being. And I was reached out to by NYU for their annual no quarter exhibition, which is essentially they reach out to devs, uh, indie devs in particular of note, people like Flambeer and so on. And they say, hey, you have a few months to build uh, literally whatever you want and just bring it to New York in October and we'll give you money for that. And... Um, that's a type of offer you don't say no to. So <laughs> mm-hmm. I said yes. And the result was um, I, I've always wanted to make a game about an airport for aliens. You're surrounded by a language that you do not know. You're figuring out how to exist in this environment that's familiar because it is an airport, but also strange because it's operating off of fundamentally different rules and culture uh, than what you are familiar with. As we were putting in the first systems of that game for this really exciting opportunity that like that was where Nidhogg uh, first came to be and debuted. I, as a joke to myself, stuck in as a temporary asset for where the receptionist would eventually be. The alien receptionist are still figuring out what the aliens would look like. A hmm. black and white photo of a Jack Russell Terrier. And the next thing I know, I press play and an eight foot tall jpeg of a a jack russell terrier is towering over me and asking if i wanted to get to uranus and uh i was like oh this is the game It, it was how i discovered i've had a lot of strongly held beliefs about how we can as the phrase goes make games better faster and cheaper uh make things with uh whether they look more familiar to uh quote unquote typical games like El Paso elsewhere, or they're made in a quietly, deeply ambitious mold like this, that um, we can make games that have a particular focus and scope and are built in a way that is not just healthy, sustainable and enjoyable for the teams that are making it, but are also made in a way that is uh, full of quality and ensures a really impressive product upon release. So exploring that and getting a, uh, a really 
firm validation in terms of the experience of the team making that game, the rejuvenating idea of building a utopia run by dogs, delivering a really fun game that people seem to really to really dig, and is in and have an, has an unexpectedly nuanced story inside that the reviews, even the negative reviews, keep coming back to is like. Yeah, we didn't expect this from a game called an airport for aliens currently run by dogs. Uh, <laughs> in general, I'm so thankful that this thing has evolved and come into my life because it's it's marked the next stage of my career. I went from the the freelancer who tried to work on pretty much everything as a matter of both uh, paying bills as well as career stability, right? V- visibly doing a whole lot of things to focusing down on more specific things. And building the and focusing on whether I'm a part of that team or leading that team, ensuring that the environment in which those games are created is as joyful as possible uh, as we're delivering these really impressive and cool games. Dog Airport game was the start of all of that. See, and I, and I love to, I mean, it's so unique with the fact that you guys you know, within this 3D environment, use clip art of these dogs. By the way, you can pet the dogs and that is freaking amazing. You can pet any dog at any time with infinite hands. If you hammer the pet button, it each time it's a new hand, so you can be petting a dog with hundreds of time, of hands at once. That was I very like we optimized the entire game around enabling this experience. <laughs> you know, when so originally it was supposed to be a placeholder. Did you have like designs in mind and what was going to be there before you kind of came upon that this this was going to be the game and how would that have changed the story and how you approach the rest of it i think the the key is this push and pull between planning and improvisation i have seen used as a talking point in the industry that you can't know what type of game you're making until you make it essentially and i patently disagree Musicians do not walk into a recording booth and be like, what the fuck is a chord, actually? Uh, excuse my language. Like, whenever a movie is made without a script, that is seen as a warning sign. And in games, we take for granted that because we are a more iterative medium, that we need to go through this painful period of unknown possibility space to reach what our game is supposed to be, that we can't plan out ahead of time what our scope is, what game we're trying to make, and then improvise as we play within the lines that we've established. I knew that this is something I disagreed with, but until an airport for aliens couldn't run by dogs, I didn't have the opportunity to explore what that actually meant. And yeah, the result is like, it's an open world comedy adventure game with six distinct open worlds all having their own eccentricities and rules, like over 80 unique dogs, over 70, 80 unique dogs that you can encounter throughout the universe. Deeply systemic set of very weird systems, all from teaching dogs to play instruments, to uh, combining items in specific ways, to basically speedrun hack as a normal player how you want to encounter this world and navigate it in the most enjoyable way that possible for you dogs that because they don't care about capitalism or the concept of currency, they just give you items. They just give you stuff. Mm. A dog doesn't care if you have 49 uh, credits and you need 50 credits to buy a ticket. And they're like, sorry, you can't go where you need to go. They'll give you one ticket. They'll give you 50 tickets. What matters is helping you and making your 
path as enjoyable as 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 possible having this really radical set of systems and narratives and ambitious things all working together we've easily seen development cycles for a game like this take four five six years in indie we made it in less than two and when you also make a game that's focused compelling but also big of size in this sort of time scale on that time of time of type of uh type of budget it also massively reduces the risk i can if even if the game had not sold well on release or hadn't received a good reception no one would lose their house over this because it was less than two years that isn't uh, a six-year investment a six-year a hundreds of thousands of dollars um publisher recoup that is down the drain i think a lot about risk these days i think a lot about sustainability and the fact that we built something really impressive and what is considered an unprecedented time and that through most of development as you mentioned we had some ideas for what the aliens would look like but because we knew what we were building ahead of time all of the systems for how airports work all the uh, all of the ways in which this landscape is constructed those actually didn't change uh we built exactly what we said we were going to build and believe we we're going to build internally and it made the entire development process disturbingly smooth we didn't have mm-hmm. any uh we didn't have a period of time where we were like oh man does this game not work we just got to build that thing and discover what additional dimensions it could take on throughout the development process instead of you know two years in being like, actually, we were building the wrong game all along. Right. I don't remember who said it, but I think one of the most notable things I've ever uh, observed or read from uh, an an entity was an eight-year game is a two-year game that took six years to, that took six years to find. We can be building even these massive games that we're making in a very different way than we are now. And I'm really excited to, to have the opportunity to, in such an absurd form as an airport for aliens currently run by dogs, observe that and explore that. And in particular, it's really interesting when you're exploring that space to see like, we're using clip art of, of, of dogs, but the aesthetic of the game is so firmly established and locked down in a lot of invisible ways that people probably wouldn't notice that's also like an immense source of pride for the team because this could have very easily been a meme game it could have been a game that looks awful from a lot of objective perspectives and outside of someone like not liking clip art of of, uh, dogs which they're objectively wrong for (laughs) the aesthetic of what this game is and looks like is something that was super carefully calibrated throughout the development process to look great, to be consistent and to hold a special meaning in itself. And I love that we got to explore that in a way that was planned out and focused, but also had these opportunities for moments of discovery. I feel like we got the best of both worlds. You know, I wanted to touch on something that you said when you, when you mentioned that, that you're thinking about risk a lot more we like to romanticize almost any creative uh, job out there, right? And mm. the business side or the financial aspects to it really don't come into play until kind of you're knee deep into it and you start to realize, 
oh boy, there's a whole different side to this world that I need to consider. <laughs> when did that start to come into play? And and how does that affect you going forward, you know, the decisions you're making and, and how to, to make sure things are running as smoothly as possible? I think for me and my personal development process and priorities, I'm always considering the impact of the game we're making on the team that will be making it. It's very hard to create games that emphasize the humans who are developing it otherwise, because you run into not just crunch, but also this myriad of other things that do contribute to human beings being destroyed by the games that we build, such as projects not coming out or getting canceled. I know people who have worked in the games industry uh, 20 plus years, and they have shipped like one game in 20 years because of the range of cancellations because the range of st- of studio moves uh, studios closing down having projects uh pulled out from underneath them direction of a project gets changed midway through based off of publisher dictates and then new leadership comes in and wipes away the previous slates to establish themselves we are constantly being put into a position to evaluate whether or not our work is going to release at all. And with Strange Scaffold, within the bandwidth that we have, we're trying to find if there are better ways of approaching this creative process that do reduce risk, that do plan actively around the idea of people being able to walk away if everything sets itself on fire. Because for the most part, it doesn't and it hasn't. But so many of my friends are in the position where an okay game release will financial will leave them in a state of financial, physical, and creative destitution. And we deserve better. Not just the play the, the developers of the games, but the players of the games deserve to have their favorite creators making things. 20 years from now, 30, 40 years from now, as opposed to two. And the average life cycle of a developer right now is hanging between three to five years. Wow. And, and, and switching gears a little bit from from dogs and airports, uh, El Paso elsewhere kind of reminds me almost like a like a uh, I, I don't know why it kind of reminds me of like a doom mix with uh, with uh, uh, oh my gosh, I can't think of it. like not the Matrix, but the uh, uh, John Wick almost like it, it. It's it's a crazy game. Tell us a little bit about how it is shifting gears like that, and just some of the development process of El Paso. Uh, El Paso. So uh, to answer your question about the development process, it's the game that I promised myself I'd never make. <laughs> I <laughs> thought that this type of game was not just out of reach, but also uh, that if I did have the chance to have put my hands on it, that it would not work out. Because, you know, how, <laughs> how, how can you, this is a, this this quote from the interview I just gave to NME is quite telling, but uh, it was like, how can you have a dream and not F it up? Uh, I, I, there's, there's a lot of ways, which in even the risk mitigation that we do as, as a studio where I am thinking about actively about the, not just the possibility, but a inevitability to, um, 
the concept of failure and being able to survive that and make something that you're proud of within that environment. And there was a con I, there was a confluence of elements last year where I remember distinctly um, for a long time, I've just mulled over what I would do with the max Payne IP. Like most people will do with probably with a lot of their favorite games. Uh-huh. Just like, what would I, where, where would I take this? And the, uh, this haunting little voice uh, almost from outside of myself said, yeah, but you'll never get to do that, right? You don't get to do that. Mm-hmm. This isn't for you. And that idea of not me making that decision, but objectively from outside of myself, this is beyond uh, this is beyond you and this isn't a, a place in which you get to operate. I looked that possibility in the face. I looked that. I looked that idea uh, into its heart and I was like, actually, no. The team came together. Uh, the game concept uh, really came together. And over the past months, just like the rest of our development cycles, it's been incredibly uh, validating and uh, gratifying to play in this space because we are building something that is genuinely in a lot of ways, despite being based upon something familiar, unprecedented. And uh, in a world of first person shooter resurgences like Dusk, we've jumped to third person and we're the first people to do it. And we're doing it in style. It's black as hell. It's uh, angry. It's sincere. And I can't believe that this is the type of game I get to be making right now. You know, if if I can add in one more question here, I mean, obviously you make some of the most unique games and and games that that are so much fun for players who are discovering your type of game for the first time, your your kind of brand of game. What are some themes? What are some things that you want them to take away from from when they play and kind of dive into some of your work? I think whether you are. Uh, looking at Space World Organ Trading Simulator or an airport for aliens currently run by dogs or uh, El Paso elsewhere, or even the work that I've done on uh, Skatebird, where I'm the narrative director. I think the the key takeaway that I want players to have is this idea that I'm very compelled by the idea of someone taking away, this game is exactly what it wants to be. There's a lot of ways in which we prejudge games or we uh, project our idea of what they, or this isn't just for games, but for any media, really. We look at movies, we look through TV, we look at games uh, through the prism of what we think that they should be. And there's a lot of, depending on what you're looking at, there can be a lot of internal fear that you can feel throughout the work of matching the expectation of what the audience thinks it should be, as opposed to what its own internal world and goals are. And one thing that I'm really excited for people to take away from the worlds that I'm making is these games are true to themselves and you cannot like them or you can like them, but uh, no matter which of our games you end up falling in love with, because I, I do have enough confidence what we're making to say, you're going to fall in love with at least one. The game that you do experience is going to be one that is built entirely to fulfill its own creative uh its own creative reason for existing you get to fall in love with a game that is whole 
And I know at least for the art that has impacted me most creatively and also just in terms of enjoyment as a person, games that are games, movies, TV, music that is whole and true to itself and uh, is going to provide me with something I never expected to fall in love with, uh, regardless of uh, if I was there at all, is something that's immensely exciting. Yeah, I agree. I I think it, it, it's always fun to see uh, people push the limits, uh, do things outside the box and not have to, you know, work within this, this, uh, I guess, formula. Um, I, I feel like some of the best games uh, come from that area of creativity and space. So we are looking forward to everything that you've got going on, Xavier. Thank you again so much for coming on the show. We appreciate it. Uh, maybe we get a little something. Where can we find on you on the, uh, on the interwebs, though? Uh, at W-R-I-T Nelson on Twitter. Uh, you can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash scaffold and get a painting of your dog or cat onto the walls of this horrible hotel that you have to fight yes. through in El Paso elsewhere. Uh, and if you want to, um, yeah, just support our work in general, we did just release an airport for aliens currently run by dogs on steam and Xbox series XS because this game is somehow a next gen, uh, exclusive. So, <laughs> Yes. Uh, stay tuned and look out for uh, more news on that, among our other projects. Awesome. Again, thank you so much for coming on, my friend. Thank you. Lucas, what do you got going on this weekend, man? What, what, what is the plan, my friend? Bring on the game announcements. I will have food Gosh. at my desk, a comfortable office chair to sit in, and I am ready. What about yourself, Ryan? Same. I'm going to be I'm going to be uh, I'm going to find some opportunities, hopefully to do a little live streaming, uh, but I'm going to be all up in that uh, just watching, having a blast and enjoying the stuff. And I'm finishing I'm finishing Mass Effect one this week. I'm so close. I can feel it. Uh, so hopefully I'm able to get that knocked out. But again, guys, we hope you guys have, you know, again, a fantastic week. Thank you guys so much for jo- joining us on this episode. Don't forget to check us out on our tweeters at Land Parties Pods at Lucas Egan or at Smitty2447. Again, enjoy the game shows. We will see you guys soon. And don't you forget it. We love your faces.